Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. Welcome once again. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 11. So in your New Testament, the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 11. We've been studying through the book of Romans for the past several weeks, even months now, in our study called Saving Grace, in which we're going verse by verse through Paul's letter to the Romans. It's the way we like to study the Bible generally here at Whitefields. We like to go through entire books of the Bible and just it's our, it's our way of almost letting God speak to us. And, and rather than just trying to pick out our favorite topics or whatever we might do, we just say, hey, let's go through a whole book and let's just soak it all in. And let's take it in context and let God speak to us. So we've been studying through Romans and we have now made our way all the way to chapter 11. And, and hopefully by today, we're going to work our way all the way through chapter 11. So let's go ahead and begin this morning by reading our text which comes from Romans chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 through 8 and then 25 through 27. So Romans 11, starting in verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they killed your prophets, they have demolished your altar, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at this present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise grace would no longer be grace. And we'll read from verse 25 through 27. Lest... You be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we pray that this morning, Lord, you would help us to understand it. These are... uh, Some difficult passages in a way to understand, but Lord, we pray you'd help us to understand it. And we pray also beyond just understanding, Lord, that we would apply these truths to our lives, that there would be something in here that we can take away. And Lord, that our lives would be changed by this study as well. But even above that, Lord, we pray that as we study these things, as we consider who you are in your character and in your ways, Lord, may we be driven to worship you all the more. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes there's more to a situation than meets the eye, right? You've heard that phrase before. So I think about this example. Imagine two college students, a boy and a girl, they're talking and you, you can't hear what they're saying, but it, it seems obvious from their body language, you can kind of figure out what's going on, right? Clearly they're boyfriend and girlfriend and, and clearly they're having an emotional conversation and, and the boyfriend is leaning in close and he's furrowing his brow and after he speaks, his girlfriend just bursts into tears and, and kind of crumples up. And it's obvious what's going on here, right? I mean, you can see it. You can observe what's going on. And, and so what do you do? You go and you confront that boyfriend and you say, hey, man, I saw what you did there. You just made her cry. You're a monster. Like, you should be ashamed of yourself. How could you treat her like that? You need to treat your girlfriend better than that. 
And to which that guy might reply, well, actually, there's more to the story than, than meets the eye. See, her grandmother just died, and I was telling her that her grandmother's very proud of her, and that's what led her to cry. It wasn't that I was being mean to her. I was actually being nice. You see, sometimes we need a little bit more information about something to really understand it, to be able to make a fair judgment about it, because otherwise we might be inclined to misjudge that situation based on just what we see or what we observe, or we might be inclined to draw the wrong conclusions about it. And that's the case with the subject that we are looking at today here in Romans chapter 11. The subject is the Jewish people. In the Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people. God made covenants with them and made promises to them. But now in the New Testament, Jewish people by and large have rejected Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah, and they seem to be enemies of God's work and and opposed to what God is doing. And it would seem like as a result of that, God has kind of moved on past them and moved to other people and the rest of the world. And here in Romans 11, Paul tells us, well, there's actually more to it then meets the eye. There's more to this situation, more to this issue than might meet the eye. And in this chapter, Romans 11, what Paul does is he pulls back the curtain a little bit and gives us a look behind the scenes so that we can see a few things. First of all, we're going to see that God isn't finished with the Jewish people. He's actually working out an elaborate and a wonderful plan, which when you see it, you can't help but be in awe of God and it causes you to worship him even more. And that's, that's what we'll see here in this chapter. So the title of today's message is Understanding Israel, and this is part three. So Understanding Israel, part three, and this is the tree and its branches. That's what we'll be talking about today. Now again, this is the third part of of a kind of three-week mini-series within our series. It's a series within a series, and it's it's the third part of this mini-series we're doing called Understanding Israel, because Romans 9, 10, and 11 are all about understanding the role of Israel in the Bible and in God's plan for salvation. Now, the reason why Paul brings up Israel at all at this point in his letter is this. For the first eight chapters of this letter, Paul has been talking to us and telling us about the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ, and how despite all of our shortcomings and our unrighteousness and our sins, God has responded with mercy and grace, and he's poured out love and grace by sending Jesus to us to be the fulfillment of all of God's righteous requirements on our behalf, and then to die on our behalf and take the judgment for our sins. And we were told that we can be sure of this salvation because God is a promise-keeping God. He keeps his promises, and God has chosen us to be his people, and there is nothing in heaven or on earth that can separate us from God's love. That's all great news, right? Well, yeah, except there's one thing. What about the Jews? Well, I mean, what about the Jews? I mean, when we talk about being God's chosen people, I mean, weren't the Jews God's chosen people? And didn't God make a bunch of promises to them as well? But, but the question is, are those promises still valid? Uh, now that most of the Jews have, have rejected Jesus, are they still God's chosen people? Are God's promises to them, do they still count? Because if not, then it would seem that maybe God doesn't actually keep his promises. And maybe they're really, it doesn't really mean anything to be the chosen people of God if they were the chosen people and now they're not. Like, if, if God doesn't keep his promises, then what kind of God is he anyway? And, and why should we believe anything that he says? And if God gave up on Israel, then how do I know that God won't someday just give up on me? So if God showed mercy and, and favor to Israel at one time and then turned his back on them, well, who's to say that he won't do the same to you? 
And so these are very important questions that he deals with here in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And they're, they're what we're talking about here in this mini-series. This is the last part of it before we move on next week to chapter 12 in which we deal with these questions about Israel. Here's what we're going to see in this section. First of all, in the first 10 verses, we're going to see this. There's more than meets the eye. So there's more than meets the eye. There's more happening. There's more going on. Secondly, we're going to see God's elaborate and wonderful plan for salvation for the world. And then we're going to see, finally, throwing fuel on the fire. We're going to talk about fuel for the fire in the last part. So there's more than meets the eye. You know, for centuries, for thousands of years, actually, the Jewish people had been waiting for and, and are still waiting for the Messiah, the, the one they call the Messiah, the Savior, who will come and save their nation and save the world. And they had the scriptures, and they had the scriptures that talked about this person. The Jewish scriptures were all about who this person would be and building up and ramping up to the coming of the Messiah, who he will be, what he will do, where he will be born, what family he will be born into. But then here's the irony of that. They waited all this time. There was all this great buildup. And then Jesus came and they rejected him. And so in chapter 11, verse 1, Paul asks the logical question that, that we have to ask, which is this. Since Israel rejected Jesus, does that mean that God has rejected Israel? I mean, when Israel rejected Jesus, did God say, okay, then, then I'm taking back my promises and you're no longer my chosen people. Instead, I'm going to turn to other people who actually do want me and do want what I'm offering. And, and so God turned to the Gentiles because that's what it seems has happened. By the way, a Gentile, for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, it just means anybody who's not a Jew. So in the Jewish mind, the world's broken up into two categories, Jews and everybody else. And the Gentiles are everybody who's not a Jew. And so Paul says in verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people, Israel? And he says, by no means, by no means. It might appear that way, but there's actually a lot more going on than what might meet the eye. God has not through with Israel. Even though they've rejected him, God has not finished with them. Even though they've been faithless, God is still going to be faithful to his promises that he made to them. Now, this is an important message for you and I to take note of as well. See, this isn't just a matter of theological curiosity, right? Sometimes we can have these theological curiosities. We say, oh, it'll be interesting to find out more about this topic and then I'll know a lot about it. Well, this isn't really just a matter of theological curiosity to know all this stuff about Israel. This has direct application to our lives as well. It should be of supreme encouragement to you and to me to know this, that if you belong to God, if he's placed his love on you, then he's not going to give up on you. You may stumble at times. You, have, you may have moments where you, you fall short and you mess up, but God is faithful and our trust in God is not in the strength of our grip, how tightly we're holding on to him. Our trust in God is based on his grip, how tightly he's holding on to us. And so verse 1 tells us that, in, that despite how things might appear, God has not rejected Israel. He says another question in, in verse 11. He says a second question. Again, I ask, did Israel fall or did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And he answers that question as well. Not at all. Which tells us this, two things. Israel's rejection of Jesus is neither total nor is it final. So two things, it's neither total nor is it final. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or 
Or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. What we're going to see here, first we're going to see that there is an Israelite remnant in the present day, and there is an Israelite recovery that is coming in the future. So there's a lot more going on with Israel than what meets the eye, he says. First of all, there's a sizable remnant in the present. Paul says that at the end of verse 1. He says, look at me, I myself, I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, not all Jewish people rejected Jesus. That's what he's saying. There's a sizable remnant, and that's true even today. I was doing a little bit of reading on it. You know, there are about 15 million Jews in the world. And of those 15 million Jews, about 500,000 of them are what we call Messianic Jews. That's Jews who embrace Jesus as the Messiah. So that's roughly like 5% of all Jews in the world. Now that might not sound like a lot, but when you consider that a, a very large portion of Jewish people in the world today are agnostic or atheists, they're non-religious, then that number actually is, is much more than it might sound like at first. That's why in verse 2, Paul reminds us of a story, a related story from the Old Testament involving the prophet Elijah. This story is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. See, Elijah lived at a time of great apostasy in Israel. Everyone in the nation, including the, the, the top leadership, had turned away, and they had turned away from the, their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, and they had turned to a pagan God called Baal, and they were worshiping Baal. And Elijah felt like everyone had turned away from God except for him, that he was the only one left. Elijah had even performed great miracles. He had called down fire from heaven. During a drought, he had prayed for rain. And after years, immediately after he prayed, it began to rain. And so in spite of these miracles, the nation as a whole had turned away from God. People were not receiving Elijah's ministry and they were worshiping this pagan god, Baal. But not only that, there was a wicked queen named Jezebel. And Jezebel essentially sent assassins to go and kill Elijah. So Elijah's running away. He runs to the mountains. He feels depressed. He feels discouraged. He feels like a failure as a prophet and as a, as a man of God. And he sits down under a tree and he literally says, God, please kill me now. Like I'm so discouraged that I just want to die. And he told God, and here's why, because I'm the only one left, God. No one else. There's no one else who's still faithful to you. No one else who still serves you and trusts you. I'm the only one. Everyone else has turned away. But it says, what did God reply to Elijah? It's there in verse 4 of Romans 11. It says this. God said, look down in that valley. And he's up on the mountains. You know, He's looking down in the valley. And God says, there are 7,000 people in that valley who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. And what he's saying is this, that just like in the time of Elijah, it might seem that all of Israel has turned away and rejected the Messiah, but there is a still a significant remnant that's bigger than you might think of Jews who, who have not gone that way, who, who are faithful to God, who have received the Messiah. God always has a remnant. He always has throughout history, and he still always will. There will always be a group within the larger group of Israel who don't turn away from God, who do 
pick up what he's putting down. See, there's a believing remnant. And there's, a, there's an important lesson in there for us in this. And that is this. You know, you and I, we don't always see the whole picture. We judge things based on what we observe or based on what we feel or what we see. But we don't always see the whole picture. We don't always see everything that God's doing behind the scenes. And so sometimes, of course, we can feel like Elijah, right? Like we can look at our circumstances and, and we can draw the wrong conclusions based on what we see and what we feel because we don't see the whole picture. We don't know everything that God's doing. And you might look at your circumstances today, whatever they are, and you might feel like God has abandoned you. You might feel like nothing good can possibly come out of what's happening in your life right now. But I want you to remember the story of Elijah and remember this. You don't see the whole picture. There might be more than meets the eye. There might be a lot of stuff going on that you don't even know about that God is up to and doing in your life. And so rather than relying on our perception of how things are, or what we see and what we feel, what we need to do is walk by faith and not by sight. That's what that means, which means that we trust in God's promises. Promises like this, that, that if you're the child of God, he will never leave you, he'll never forsake you, that he is indeed working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And in the same way, when it comes to God's dealings with the Jewish people, there's more going on than what might meet the eye. Paul says in verses 5 and 6, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant of Jewish people who trust in Jesus, chosen by grace. And he says, if it is by grace, then it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. In other words, God gives us his grace, not because he sees something in us that says, oh, I, I need that guy on my team. I need that girl on my team. It isn't because of something that he sees in us that we've earned it or merited it or done anything that he would give it to us. He just chooses. The reason he gives his grace is in him, not in us. See, justice means getting what you deserve. Mercy means not getting the judgment that you deserve. But grace means getting something good that you don't deserve. See, grace means unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. You know, for example, if one of my children performs well in school, and so, so in return for that, I give them a reward. That's not grace. It might be kindness, but it's not grace. See, because I was doing it because they did something in order to merit it. They did something, uh, it was a reward for good behavior, but grace is when I do something for my kids not because of anything that they've done or, or earned or achieved, but simply because I love them and I want to do it. The reason is in me, not in them. And the Bible says that that's how God relates to us. It's on the basis of grace, not on the basis of our works. And what that means is that you don't have to work to earn God's love. Do you know that today? I really hope you do. You don't have to work to earn God's love. You don't have to work to earn God's blessing. You don't have to twist his arm in order to get him to do things for you. See, God gives us his love. It's a gift of grace. He pours out blessing on us and we receive it. See, not because we earned it or we deserved it, but simply because of who he is, because he's a good God who loves his kids. And when you really get that, you can't help but respond to it. You respond to it in worship. You respond to it in serving him, in seeking to know him, in giving him your life. See, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world, every other belief system in the world. This is what makes Christianity absolutely different. See, every religion in the world is based on this basic idea that says this. You act 
and God responds. You initiate and God responds. And so here are the things that you need to do in order to get God to give you what you want him to give you. And so recite these prayers, do these good deeds, go on this pilgrimage, give this amount of money. And if you do these things and you do them well and you do them often and consistently, then God will see that and he will respond to your actions and you can kind of get him to do the things that you would like him to do for you. But the gospel is different. It's a different way of approaching God, which is based not on us initiating and God responding, but it's based on God initiating and us responding. It's a way of relating to God based on grace. See, what the gospel says is that God acts and we respond. See, it's it's the opposite order. And it's not at all splitting hairs. It, It has very different implications for how we live our lives. That God acts, God initiates, and we respond. In other words, the reason we pray, the reason we study God's word, the reason we worship, the reason we give of our finances, and the reason we serve and do, do things for him, anything that we do, it's not in order to get him to do something for us. See, that's manipulation. If I'm like, okay, well, I'll do this if you do this in return. No, it's we do it because he has already done so much for us, and we're just responding to that grace. And it's a completely other way of approaching the whole thing and and approaching God. And it's what sets Christianity apart from every religion, every belief system in the world. It's the teaching of grace, that we are the ones who respond to God. It's not God who responds to us. And maybe there are some of you here today, and that's a shift that you need to make in your thinking, in your mentality, in the way that you approach God and think about God. You're still trying to relate to God on the basis of your works. You're still trying to twist his arm or direct him in a certain way rather than responding to what his grace is and and responding to him and what he's done. It's an absolute game changer, this idea of grace. And so what Paul is reminding us of here in in verses 5 and 6 in talking about grace is this. Salvation is not a reward that you get for good behavior. Salvation is a gift that you receive by faith. So salvation isn't a reward that you get for good behavior. It's a gift that you receive by faith. And that's what we see in verses 7 through 10. He says this, What then has Israel failed, or Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. In other words, those who rejected the gospel of God's grace because they insisted that they could earn their salvation and earn God's love and blessing, they were hardened. Not only were they hardened, but they were also blinded. It says this in verse 8, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. The point here is this. When you reject the grace of God, you become hardened and you become blind. And you might wonder sometimes, why would anybody not want God's grace? Like anybody would be presented with the gospel and be like, thanks, but no thanks. Why would that be? Well, Paul's been telling us the answer to that in chapters 9, 10, and 11. He said, in the case of Israel, and in the case of many people today, the reason they rejected the message of grace was because it offended their pride. It offended their sense of, of self-righteousness and self-justification. Right? They liked the feeling that God liked them more than he liked other people because they earned it and they deserved it. They liked the feeling of that they could pat themselves on the back and say that they had earned God's grace. But the gospel came along and said, no, don't you understand? That's not how grace works. Grace isn't earned. It's by grace. It's not by works. 
And that offended their pride. And a lot of people stumble over this even in this present day. We say things like, you know, I don't need charity. That's un-American. I get what I deserve. And, and, and this idea that we need to receive the gospel, it requires us to humble ourselves. Because the gospel requires us to admit that we are unable to save ourselves. That we absolutely need a savior. And that we need to be forgiven. We need a savior to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves. And the question is this, will you humble yourself and admit your need and receive God's grace? When you reject God's grace, what we see here, you become hardened and your eyes become blinded. And that's what has happened to Israel as a whole, by and large. Now, of course, not every individual, but by and large. Now, God uses, though, it says in this next part, God even uses the hardness and the blindness to accomplish his purposes. That's what we see in the second section. An elaborate and wonderful plan. In verses 11 through 32. Paul says in verse 11, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they, may f- they might fall? And he says, by no means. See, there's a difference between stumbling and falling. When, right? When you stumble, it's, you can be tripped up, but you haven't yet fallen. You can recover from a stumble, but a fall implies finality. And so Paul tells us here, Israel's rejection of the Messiah Jesus, it's, no long, it's not total, right? Not everybody has rejected him, nor is it final. There is a Jewish remnant in the present, and there will be a Jewish recovery in the future. But even now, God is using their rejection of the gospel as part of his elaborate and wonderful plan to bring salvation to the world, and ultimately to them as well. So check out what he says in verse 11. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, Visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.